Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are tuning in for the first time, take a moment to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also stop by RadioIslam.com. You can uh, check out any past episodes, uh, discussions. You can look at guest bios, all that good stuff. And, of course, we are wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review, all the good stuff. Uh, but look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, uh, I have joining me in studio. Uh, I jokingly refer to them as troublemakers, but in all in all seriousness, they are uh, exposing trouble. All right, so uh, uh, trouble solvers was the was the uh, phrase that Rabbi Bruce Elder that he used. Trouble solver. So I like that. But let me introduce uh, the three that are here. Uh, and these are three uh, individuals from Congregation Hakafa. Uh, and uh, they recently took a trip to uh, Texas, uh, to Tornillo, uh, a community right outside of El Paso, uh, to really to look at and to, uh, to support efforts to bring an end to the Tornillo uh, detention facility. Uh, and so we're going to really get into that. But first, let me go ahead and introduce, as I mentioned, uh, Rabbi Bruce Elder. He is the uh, rabbi of Congregation Hakafa uh, in Glencoe, Illinois. He's been the rabbi there since 2002. 1999. 99. Okay, since 99. You've got some time in. Yeah, I got some time in. All right. <laughs> so he currently also serves as the chair of the Glencoe Clergy Association and is uh, president of the board of the JCUA, Jewish Council on Urban Affairs. I was in the past. You were in the past? Yes. I'm, I'm neither of those currently, but I was in the past both. So we've got to keep up with you. Uh, we got, well, we, no, we just have to keep up with our uh, <laughs> website. So thank you for reminding me, Tariq. I appreciate <laughs> not, it. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, we also have Dr. Sally Nader. Uh, and she is a clinical psychologist and also a member of Congregation Hakafa, someone who's had uh, a longstanding interest in social justice uh, and activism and ag advocacy. So we're also pleased to have her with us as well. Thank you, Tariq, for having us. Thank you, Sally. And we have joining us, uh, first time in, but we are pleased to have him uh, all the same, uh, Lee Goodman, who is an attorney and principal organizer of Peaceful Communities, which is an all-volunteer group. Uh, broadly dedicated to making the world a better place. How can you not appreciate a mission like that? Good to be with you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. So can we first um, tell us what were the what was the occasion that, um, uh, you know, that, that found you traveling to Texas? Um, how, how did that come about? If I may. So um, <clears throat> back in June when this current administration started its family separation policy. Mm -hmm. We as a congregation wanted to find a way to get down to the border to work with groups down there to show our support uh, against this and to try to get it to stop. And so we started making inquiry back in June and, and because of all the crazy going on back then could not find a group where we felt we, we could get down there. Mm -hmm. So during the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, the administration slipped in, in a news article. Uh, we saw that uh, they were this 
camp that opened up in Tornillo, which was a 380-bed camp, uh, which was supposed to be temporary, was being turned into a 3,800-bed camp, and that the administration was trying to make it permanent. And so we decided that we couldn't uh, not be down there. So we made some inquiry once again, found people on the ground, and started meeting with them to see what they needed and how we could be supportive. And that's what eventually uh, took us down there. Okay. And, and what did you find when you went down there? What, what, was, the, uh, what was the reception like as far as the, uh, those who were on the ground, but also, um, yeah, yes, what was the reception like? Well, we were really pleased that there have been some people doing regular vigils and uh, witnessing and demonstrations uh, for quite a while, and they welcomed us, and they showed us around, explained to us what was happening, and we took a look around for ourselves, and what we found was a beautiful desert landscape, very peaceful and serene, but very much isolated. Uh, It's farmland, irrigated farmland, surrounded by a desert, Mm -hmm. off the main road, and if you look in one direction, it's beautiful open skies, but if you look over your shoulder, there's this prison camp with all these children locked up. So it's really quite a compelling uh, place to visit. And fortunately, as I say, we had people down there who were steeped in what was going on there, and we were able to join and work with them. Hmm. Now, there is an issue, um, what what reading that I've done regarding uh, the Tornillo uh, detention facility, whatever, whatever term they're using, you know, and it's always generally, they speak of it in uh, sanitized terms. Um, but it has been where the community, the, the community that is there, uh, is very much locked out of it. Um, I, th- I read something with regard to the uh, superintendent of schools that wanted to come in and I guess do an assessment as to whether or not the children were receiving any types of uh, education or whatever. But he was also uh, was turned away, uh, as have been many others. Uh, has that been something that has been, uh, and I think that is kind of part and parcel to this administration's uh, take you know how they are uh, they, they're going about dealing with uh, uh, detention or you know however you want to term it um, where there is very little transparency is that was that one of the things that, that you have witnessed uh, that you may have heard when you were, were when you were there yeah I, I think that's that's really true we don't know for sure what's going on inside we've heard that there are extremely large classes in Spanish. The problem there is that for many of these children from Central America, Spanish isn't their mother tongue. It's a second language. Uh, and But we don't know, and, and you're absolutely right. We have little bits of information here and there, but, but we're not sure. Uh, and the biggest thing is that the people who have gone in, who have been allowed in, have not been allowed to talk to the children. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of secrecy around this. Um, <clears throat> people who are working for the administrator of the camp, Baptist Children and Family Service, have to sign a non-disclosure, so very little information is coming out. This particular man uh, to whom Lee referred, Josh Rubin, who from Brooklyn who went down there and set up an RV outside and has been there for three months, um, started walking around the camp 
and groups have started walking around. And when they started to, the next day a black tarp went up all over so you can't see into the camp. When we were down there for our big November 15th rally, all the kids were brought to the other side of the camp, put in a bigger tent, and had music playing in so they couldn't hear us. Mm -hmm. And they claim that that is to protect the kids so it doesn't traumatize them. Um, But we think... So that doesn't traumatize them. So we think that it's otherwise, um, Mm -hmm. for sure. And and we can have the argument, and we've heard the argument, that the kids are being taken care of. Look, we know that the kids are getting three meals a day. We know the kids get ice cream once a week. We know that the kids get to play soccer for... 45 minutes a day. Um, But the issue is the fact that we are illegally imprisoning children and keeping them from their families um, for some kind of political purpose that is completely un-American, inhumane, and immoral. Mm -hmm. So we can, even if they're doing everything beautifully in there, we know that these kids, because of some people who have been able to make some contact through the fence, despite everything, mm-hmm. have seen that these kids want out. They want to be with their families, and they want to be treated fairly. Yeah, and the fact is they're being imprisoned, and they have not committed. What, what is their offense? What is their crime? They are not accused of, and they have not been charged with, and they will not be charged with any offense whatsoever. It's a very important. You're right. This is a prison. It's got barbed wire around it. It's got armed guards. Mm-hmm. So, no, they're there simply because the administration decided that one of the ways to keep adults from coming to our border and seeking asylum, seeking refuge, was to threaten them that if they show up, their children will be taken away from them. All right. Now, you mentioned, uh, Bruce, earlier, you mentioned that uh, this was originally a little bit under uh, 400 as far as the the capacity that was that was supposed to mm-hmm. uh, hold that many that many uh, uh, bodies, mm-hmm. but now we are well over what are we at twenty five hundred or something like that? As uh, at far this point? as we know, we're somewhere between twenty seven hundred and three thousand. It was when we were there November fifteenth. Yeah, there were about twelve hundred kids, and in the two weeks after we left there, they ratcheted up to at least twenty two, twenty three, and now they're up to twenty five with a capacity of thirty eight hundred. Which is tremendous, and and it's and they're just they're just thirty eight hundred or twenty eight hundred of the fifteen thousand children across the country being detained. We have put our focus on Tornillo for a few reasons. Okay. First and foremost, uh, this administration has stated that they want to use this as a prototype uh, for setting up camps like this up and down the border. They claim that it. It's only a temporary facility, and in doing so, they do not have to abide by their own uh, regulations as stipulated under the Flores Agreement that says that kids can only be kept for up to 20 days. Um, We also know that the administration has created a situation by which um, it's bottlenecking the system by keeping kids in it longer, so there seems to be a bigger crisis than it is. And it's no surprise that this started escalating around the election. Mm -hmm. And... um, will continue to be used, using these kids as pawns in a political game to create a boogeyman in our society. You mentioned it, these kids have a legal right to claim asylum. We hear all the time, these kids are crossing illegally, they don't deserve to be here, send them back. Anyone who comes to our borders turns themselves in and is seeking asylum. There is a process that takes place. They have to go before a judge to have a credible hearing. And and if they have a credible hearing, there are steps that get taken place. Mm -hmm. This administration is dragging its feet, um, hoping to create this frenzy, not only to um, gain points with its supporters, but as Lee said, to act as a deterrent. Well, I've said that what is the legal way to escape a burning building? Um... If you are if you are escaping rampant violence and poverty and 
uh, and I'll go back to the violence again because that is at the, the seat of, of quite a few of those who have uh, who have sought asylum here. Uh, what's what's the way? How do you legally run out of a burning building? You know, you leave and you seek safety. You seek uh, you seek you know you seek safety. Simple as that. Um, what are we looking at with regard to efforts to uh, to to close the facility? Um, can can we talk a bit about that? I think that's that's really important. I don't want to do all the talking, but let me just jump in by saying we're being very careful about calling for the closing it. Okay. Even though our our language is shut Torneo down, mm-hmm. we don't want it to be shut down so another place can open up like it. Mm-hmm. So this is part of a strategy to say um, shut it down, don't open anything else like it, and return these kids and get these kids to their families as quickly as possible. Okay. And the major way we need to do that is congressionally because this administration is not going to listen. Given that the Democrats are coming to power in a couple of weeks, um, we went and met with Representative Schakowsky, who is one of the leaders of the uh, Democratic caucus, mm-hmm. um, and shared our concerns. And she's on board. And there's been a number of other congressional representatives and senators who have seen what's been happening since we've been down there in November. There's been a lot of press and have committed to taking steps through a congressional hearing, we hope, or other mechanisms um, to close it down as quickly as possible and to make sure that these kids are treated in a way that is fair, just, and respectful of what they're trying to do here. So our main push right now is congressional. Um, They have asked for national support and national organizations and individuals. So we have kicked off uh, campaigns to get people to sign on. Uh, We started this two weeks ago. We currently have 156 organizations from around the country that have signed on. And um, on our particular uh, petition, 2,000 people. And on a move on petition, 56,000 people in four days. And so folks who are listening to this, folks, folks who are listening to this, um, we hope that you can get in touch with us at, um, you can email us at shuttorneodown at gmail.com to lend your voice. If any folks are there are tied to organizations, whether it be immigration, child welfare, religious, um, who would like to, to learn about signing on and getting involved, we need to send a really clear message according to the government and the administration, according to the Congress, um, that we are all in this together. All right. Well, I, I think it's uh, tremendously important that we have uh, faith communities that are stepping up uh, to the challenge uh, and making sure that that this is not accepted as the norm. And I think that really, uh, you know, and it's uh, it's masterfully deceptive. Uh, and it's going through a loophole, this idea of we're going to call it a temporary facility so we don't have to abide by what we know is the proper, uh, what are the proper procedures. Um, you know, and if anything goes on long enough, you know, we get used to it, mm-hmm. and it becomes an arm, become desensitized. So mm-hmm. it's tremendously important uh, that we have faith communities at the at the forefront, supporting, um, supporting, you know, uh, resisting inhumane uh, and undignified uh, treatment. Uh, let me ask this: How does this p- uh, particular facility? How does this um, mesh with the uh, ruling? Uh, there was a, 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 judici- a judicial ruling. What four? maybe three, four months ago, which was uh, about reuniting uh, the families. Uh, how, how does this fit into that, Lee? Well, it's complicated, as legal matters tend to be, but yeah. the broad brush is that the administration is required to not hold children more than the 20 days. The other issue is family separation. Back in June, 
when the administration announced it was going to actively separate families, the public uproar was instantaneous and enormous, and almost immediately the administration said, we're no longer going to do that. So they said. Right. However, there are any number of different circumstances where families do get separated. So, for instance, if the father goes to work and gets picked up by ICE, well, the child is still at home, so they're separated. So what we have at Tornillo is children who, f under any number of different circumstances, are separate from their family, but the administration is claiming that they were not separated at the border. So how does it fit in? It's basically part of an overall policy of this administration to demonize people according to the national origin, according to the religion, as we've seen before. This is part of the whole thing. Senator Merkley was on MSNBC last night stating that he knows that 50% of the kids in Tornillo right now have been given uh, the ability to go connect with their families and are being kept from their families that are waiting for them in our country. So um, we know that up to 80 to 85% of those kids have sponsors in this country that are waiting for them. One of the things that the government, that this administration did under the Obama administration to, to claim a child from detention, um, you had one person from the household who was going to be the legal guardian had to get fingerprinted and background checked. And then that person would, when that passed, someone would be turned over. And that usually took within about 20, 25 days. Mm -hmm. This administration has said everybody in the household has to go through that and they are turning over all of that information to ICE. And so there was an article this week wow. that in which 147 people through this method have gotten picked up and deported. So it's effectively, that's the main way that this government, this administration has bottlenecked the system. They, they, by sharing it with ICE, people can no longer come forward. They're saying they're, they're doing it in the interest of these kids so that they don't get trafficked because there's been one or two instances of people claiming children and then trafficking them. Um, they are also claiming that anybody who paid someone to bring their child here had to pay a trafficker, and therefore they're trafficking their children to get them here. So they say that they have the kid's best uh, interest at heart, and yet it came out two weeks ago or three weeks ago that uh, the administration gave a waiver so that they don't have to fingerprint or background check the people that are working at the institution taking care of these kids at all. So their arguments don't hold up. So how does it relate to family separation? Mm -hmm. It is not, as, as Lee just said, it is not the situation where they were yanking kids away from their parents at the border. It is that they've expanded the definition of what it means to be an unaccompanied minor. If you come to the border with your aunt, they're going to take you and separate you from your family. Mm -hmm. If you come to, because that's not immediate family. Right. If you come to the border and you're 18 and you come with your family, you are going to be separated and sent into an adult detention. So there is still family detention uh, separation on that level, mm -hmm. not like what they were talking about in June, but yet it's still there. And if 80 to 85 percent of these kids have families waiting for them, then it's definitely still family separation. And there's, <coughs> there's also another piece to this. And you can straighten me out, Bruce, if I have I this. I could never straighten <laughs> you out. <laughs> 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 Trust me, I learned that a long time ago. Quite, <laughs> quite right. But uh, a, a teenager who comes um, and crosses um, not at an official checkpoint has then committed a misdemeanor. So if family does come forward, he's given a court date, and he is flowing to wherever family is. 
families paid for the ticket, and he's given a court date. Now, if for some, re some reason he doesn't get to court, he has now committed a felony. That's so, mm. you know, the kind of misdeed for you and I that would be quite small just becomes this very huge problem. Um, so, so the idea is anybody who crosses the border illegally mm -hmm. is, is charged with a misdemeanor. That's right. separate from the asylum issue. Right. What this administration has done and is inundating uh, uh, detention centers around the country, specifically along the border, and we saw this in El Paso, the government used to help facilitate people getting through to their asylum hearing dates, trying to get them where they needed to go to keep the system moving. Right. This administration has shut that down. And in doing so, for instance, in El Paso, since we've been there each and every day, there's about 200 to 300 people that the administration is processing quickly, putting ankle break bracelets on and saying, okay, you need to now get to Poughkeepsie, New York next week for your hearing where your family is and not providing any guidance or anything, no money. There's no transportation nothing, assistance. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And so therefore, what this is what, Sally, I think you're referring to, yeah. is that what that in effect does is take a misdemeanor and turn it into a felony so that if they're charged with a felony, there's no way they can even try to come back legally for at least 10 years. And, and so El Paso is literally inundated. 200 people a day, and there's some fantastic organizations on the ground in El Paso, and the faith communities down there are doing incredible work. There's a place called Annunciation House, mm -hmm. which has, which is really the main organization providing services to get these folks where they need to go. Hope Border Institute, with whom we've been working intimately, doing what they can to get these people through um, to their to their places. It is a it's it's beyond unbelievable uh, what's going on there. Unnecess you know, and again, unnecessarily. Yeah, obviously, obviously, and what I'm really gathering from all of this is, and you know, I guess it's a part of the a part of the job is to keep up with with the news. But th th these are th these are layers of of process that I'm not aware of, and I'm certain that there are a lot of folks who are not aware uh, of these things. And uh, this is just this is this is dastardly, right? <laughs> this is just downright uh, insidious. That you're setting folks up to fail. So, uh, Lee, go go ahead. <laughs> okay, so that's clearly from our perspective. Now imagine that you're a 14-year-old child who comes from a thousand miles away, who doesn't yeah. speak the language, who has no representation or no one to help them out, who's supposed to somehow navigate all of this. These yeah. people are being put in a totally untenable, impossible situation. Now, here's another question. So if they were being charged with something, then there is the, um, we know that they're supposed to be representation, right? They're supposed to be allowed to uh, confer with counsel and, you know, all, all of that good stuff. Uh, but the fact that they're not being charged with, with anything, who are they actually allowed to connect with? If they can find a lawyer or a lawyer can find them, and there are some volunteers uh, who are doing this work, they can be represented. Okay. However, that's a big if. And what we understand is that many, many of these children are essentially going through this entire process without any assistance whatsoever or with very, very minimal assistance. So um, there have been ACLU Texas 
uh, races, uh, there's a few legal organizations that are trying to do their best to get these kids some kind of representation. Uh, the rally that we were down there for was November 15th. A few people from our congregational community went down the day before and spent some time at the court where these kids are being processed and being told by the public defenders that they're just overwhelmed. One of the things that this administration did in July was, or beginning, beginning of July, was something called Operation Streamline. Okay. That said that uh, groups of people, not just kids, but groups of people who are trying to come through, um, instead of needing individual legal representation, can be brought forward en masse to have streamlined through the process to have their uh, credible hearings denied because of legal representation, not enough representation or what have you, and sent back immediately. So there is a lot of nefarious things going on that, that you referred to that Leah is talking about as well. Um, there is a real lack of representation. Mm. Uh, Radio Islam family, uh, as you all know, the family is diverse. Right? We have Muslims. We have uh, we have non-Muslims. We've got people of, of, of every different faith and people of no faith, right? But I'm making a an appeal right now. As a matter of fact, I'm going to uh, set the stage for uh, Rabbi Bruce to make the appeal. Um, we want and we need to have more uh, Muslim, uh, we need to have more uh, uh, mosque communities, masjid communities, more imams uh, involved that can sign on. Bruce, why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, please well, let finish me say that Thank up. you, Tariq, and thank you once again for the opportunity to be here. We were here earlier talking about uh, our trip to Houston, and yeah. to have you as an ally and your willingness to share these narratives speaks volumes for for you, what you represent, and the Muslim community that gets to hear and learn from you, with you, and that you get to represent. So thank you very much for that. Oh, if pleasure. people want to learn more about what we're talking about, first and foremost, there are two places on Facebook where I strongly recommend uh, people go. First and foremost, there is a Facebook uh, site called Witness Torneo that was set up by Josh Rubin, who has been documenting for three months everything going in and out of that camp, his observations. There's videos on there. There's all types of really great information, which is just a diary. It's an open diary from uh, October. There's also the Facebook group Shut Torneo Down. Um, which we administer so that people can share ideas and get knowledge of, and the things that they want to get. Um, we have on there a fact page that kind of documents a lot of the things we've been saying that people can get in the files there. And we have our petition uh, that we're asking people as individuals and as groups to sign onto that you can get through there as well. If I could butt in real quick, we're going to make sure that we post a petition on our Facebook page Thank as you. well, and we'll tweet it out. Uh, so that would be tremendous. Yeah. Thank you. And we're also looking, um, part of the work that we're trying to do is to do the research of, of who's benefiting from this. The Tornillo camp alone is costing this country $100 million a month. It's $1,200 a kid per day, $100 million a month, wow. money that's been taken from different uh, places. For instance, FEMA. FEMA has been drained to some extent to pay for immigration stuff and these kinds of camps. Um, there are companies that are benefiting from this. We are doing our research on that. Uh, we are going to be sending a letter to the non-for-profit Baptist um, Children and Family Services, who's been around for 70 years, who has done great emergency work in crisis situations. They get brought in as first responders after floods, hurricanes, and what have you, that got contracted for this, again, under the pretense of it being temporary. Right. Um, in in uh, a couple of days, we're going to be sending a, a letter from clergy 
calling on their consciences to realize that what they're doing um, is not in their best interest, is not a moral religious thing to do. So if there's any religious leaders that are listening to this, imams, priests, uh, Wicca, we, whatever, <laughs> if we can, I'm not belittling Wicca, whatever, you know, anything that we can find, anyone that we can find that would be willing, please reach out to, to us at shuttornillodown at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, if there's ways you want to get involved, we have a multi-tiered campaign between witnessing down there, the rallies down there, researching and boycotting, the congressional push, and most importantly, which we're getting to after the first of the year, is how does Tornillo connect to the rest of these detention networks that's, that's been played out here? 15,000 children. And it's easy to, to, to rely on the children for this, mm-hmm. but that is just a small number compared to the thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals that we are incarcerating right now mm-hmm. um, who are for the simple crime, quote unquote, because it's not a crime at all. It's legal yeah. of trying to claim asylum in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we cannot um, have this conversation without I want to go back to uh, to you, Sally, as a clinical psychologist uh, to bring up the. Um, the environment, the impact uh, that this situation is having on these young people. I think this is really critical uh, to voice. Uh, it is not just the the incarceration, but it is also the impacts for, for folks that are so that are so young. How how is this type of uh, scenario? How is this impacting, or would would it typically impact a young person? Well, I, I, that's a great question. I, I think we know that that these children because of the journey they've had to get here and then because of their their um, stay in the camps are at risk for future problems. Uh, we don't know what we can guess at some of those problems, but we definitely can say that they are now in an at-risk category. Um, and, uh, and as far as we know, um, social and psychological services are are either not provided or, or in a very provided in a very minimal kind of way. Um, if I may again, please. Uh, the standard that we have been told, a federal standard for something like this, is that you need to have one uh, mental health professional per 20 kids. We have been told that uh, the number is more like to 100, 150 kids in this camp. One to 150? Yeah, that's what we've been told. And and for me, one of the more egregious things that some people might dismiss, there's no physical contact allowed in these camps. So these kids can't hug. They can't get hugged. They're given minimum contact with their siblings if they're, if, if they're siblings of the opposite sex. The trauma of the reason they have to, no one leaves because they want to. Right. So the trauma, as you alluded to earlier, Tariq, of, of, of the violence, which the majority of these kids are being told, either you become drug mules or we're going to kill your family or right. you, they have to go. Mm-hmm. right? So the trauma of that, the trauma of the journey that a lot of these kids have done barefooted, you know, thousands of miles on their own. You know, no one leaves by themselves. And then the trauma they get when they're here, we know that the impact is not insignificant, even as they're getting ice cream and are allowed to play soccer. Right. We want to make that clear. We we don't want to suggest that BCFS is maltreating them in the day-to-day work. Um, But yeah, the greater greater trauma is tremendous. You know, I I might add, and this may seem trivial, Mm -hmm. but when these kids appear in court, they're wearing orange jumpsuits. And and somehow the visual of that just just carries, it it seems so wrong. It's... Uh, it is. They have been treated as criminals. 
Yeah. Uh, nothing short of that, and that is the experience that they, that they've received, uh, and the fact that they that there is no touching. No, it almost it puts me in a mindset of solitary confinement in the open. Um, you may be able to see other people and talk to other people, but to not have physical contact, which is which is something that uh, as human beings we need. Uh, we we need this. So, um, in our initial in our initial ask of Congress, which we changed. Yeah. We said that these kids deserve to be treated at a minimum of the standards that we treat people who are incarcerated yeah. because they're not. And we took that out because we don't want to imply that these kids deserve to be incarcerated or should be incarcerated. Yeah. But just to your point of exactly that. Yeah. And I've worked in the prison system, so I can, I can speak oh, yeah, to me that. Me too. <laughs> we'll talk. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the reason that I, I think it's important to, to voice these things, to, to articulate them, is because how we see ourselves internally, right? We know we have plenty of issues that we have to deal with, uh, that we're struggling with as a society, but if we think about the ideal, the ideal America, uh, that is something that these types of situations allow us maybe to step back a bit and, and see how we're falling short uh, and, and really rise, hopefully rise to the occasion. And Lee. although we've been talking about what is the impact on these children, mm -hmm. What is the impact upon us as individuals and as a nation to yeah. be now seeing ourselves as a nation that's doing this to these people? That's not the way we normally like to think of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a real tipping point, potentially. We believe this, that if this is allowed to go on and, and not get fought, mm -hmm. it's very real as this administration continues. <laughs> Mm. that we're going to start seeing more and more of these up and down the border and people are going to be okay with that. Right. Normalization. You said it at the beginning. Normalization. Yeah. And, and I like to think that, you know, everything is connected. And if we can have a, a, a coordinated stand against uh, Tornillo uh, and the treatment that these young people uh, are, are receiving, uh, then we can have a coordinated stance when it comes to mass incarceration. You know, Amen. in general, we can have a coordinated stance when it comes to uh, substance abuse, when it comes Amen. to domestic violence, all of these these societal ills that we have. But sometimes it we have to kind of get out of ourselves to be able to to do that. So uh, uh, Radio Islam family, if you are listening, look for that petition. Uh, we're going to like I said, we'll have it up on our uh, social media. Um, you can go to. Shut down Tornillo? Shut Tornillo down at gmail.com uh, okay. is the place to get more information. If people email it and say, we want to know more, we'll get something to you quickly. Okay. And to go to the two places on Facebook, Witness Tornillo, great resource. Shut Tornillo down Facebook group mm -hmm. um, has ideas, suggestions, and back and forth as well. Okay. Um, Sally, Bruce, Lee, it has been a pleasure talking to you all. Uh, and... Please continue to do the uh, the great work that is needed in supporting those who are uh, being on the front lines with them. So uh, we support you 100%. So please keep it up. Thank you so much for being here. Tariq, it's an Thank honor. You. Thank, Thank you, you for you. giving us the time. Yeah. All right, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a short break, but we will be back. This is Radio Islam on WCEV, 1450 AM. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff 
and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. And now we have an eight-year-old on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so don't be afraid to post on our wall, or if you'd like to go ahead and just, you know, you can... Hit us on the inbox as well. That, that's fine, too. And also make sure that you don't miss another episode of this program. Um, we have relevant conversation. We have uh, great and informed guests uh, who appear on this program regularly. And you can keep up with that by following us, by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Wherever you get yours at, we are there. We're definitely on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn, to name a few. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. So, uh, family, in terms, uh, when it comes to speaking about uh, things that are relevant, having relevant and important conversations, uh, if you were with us for the first uh, segment, then you heard us talking with uh, three members of Congregation Hakafa and Glencoe um, about their efforts uh, to support those who are on the ground who are opposing the Torneo uh, detention facility. Uh, you could call it the Tuneo prison uh, camp. Um, and it is a space where over 2,000, close to 3,000 young people are being uh, are being held. 
Uh, and they are, by all definitions of the word, they are prisoners because they do not have the freedom of movement. They cannot decide they, they want to leave. Uh, they can't walk out the gates. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, their families can't come uh, and pick them up. Uh, they have people that will sponsor them. Uh, one of the stats that was mentioned uh, during our conversation, I think Bruce, uh, Rabbi Bruce Elder mentioned that uh, about 85% of the, the young people that are there, I believe that they have sponsors. They have someone who could come and get them. Uh, but those folks, these young people are not being allowed to leave. So if you missed, and this is for the benefit of those who may have missed, we want to uh, miss that first segment. We want to give you some information and hopefully, uh, well, I mean, I've got a physical copy, but um, I'm sure we can find a digital copy where you can make sure that you are uh, informed so that you can inform others. Um, we'll try to post that digital copy of some of the facts, the pertinent facts around the Tornillo, Texas Detention Center. Uh, so as we've already stated, we're talking about um, a space that is about 40 miles southeast of El Paso, <coughs> excuse me, across from the Tornillo Guadalupe Toll Plaza. And um, it being outside of El Paso, the, the interesting thing is in our conversation earlier is how many people were actually unaware, who, who did not know, only 40 miles away, who did not know about this particular uh, detention facility. So that, that in itself, uh, it says, you know, it says quite a bit. But the really alarming information, the things that should kind of make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, the things that should uh, infuriate you, should worry you, uh, is the fact that our president, President Trump, has stated that he intends to build numerous detention uh, facilities or tent cities along the border. And that was one of the things that came up in our conversation as well. But this is something that he has already stated. So he wants this to be a prototype, and that should disturb. Uh, it should disturb um, all of us. You know, we should be concerned. And although everybody is not going to have the same access, the same uh, capacity to be able to pack up and go and uh, support, be able to go and, and march uh, and show up at Tornillo, Everybody's not going to be able to do that. But what we can do, what each and every person can do that, that is listening, uh, that knows about this, is to support those organizations that are working to not just shut down uh, Tornillo, but working to make sure that this vision that our president has, that it does not come to fruition, that this does, you know, that it doesn't set the stage for um, for a, a scattering of, of like facilities with the aim of detaining young people, detaining people who, you know, who, who really, and, and this, this goes for all of our young people, right? All of our young people, regardless of their uh, ethnicity or religion um, or, or any identifying, any boxes that you want to check off, uh, they are all worthy of our protection. Uh, and they're all worthy of our advocacy. So um, those organizations that are working on behalf of ensuring that they are treated properly, uh, these children and other children, we're going to actually segue into uh, speaking about on a domestic uh, level. We're going to talk about uh, youth here uh, as well. But 
we can make sure that we support those organizations. So this is uh, this is a time where we're going to be getting a lot of uh, a lot of um, invitations, right? You're going to get a lot of petitions, a lot of folks that are asking you to make that last second donation to their organization throughout uh, for, for the end of the year. And I'm not going to promote, you know, of course, I'm going to say first and foremost, Sound Vision is a 501c3, right? Sound Vision is the uh, organization that brings you Radio Islam, uh, that brings you um, Adam's World, that brings you uh, weekend school teachers trainings and and a bunch of, of of other of other stuff and and is and is planning quite a bit more for 2019. So I know that's a bit of a, a shameless uh, plug there, but I would I would be remiss if I did not mention if you want if you're looking for organizations to support, then definitely include Sound Vision uh, in there, and you can make any donation, whether a one time or a recurring one. Go to SoundVision.com for that. So that being said, there are a number of organizations with regard to uh, that are on the front lines around this particular issue, uh, children's rights, protecting our young people, um, and dealing with this, this, uh, this, this terrible situation that we have in uh, Tornillo. So some of the folks that are on the uh, uh, ground right now. I should not say that are on the ground. Let's just go. Let's let's talk about some of the folks that are uh, that have pledged their support already for the petition. That's that's where I want to go to. So we want to give these organizations a just just give them a salute, give them a shout out, um, and hopefully as the next uh, iteration of this list comes out, we're going to have even more. Um, even more folks that have signed up, more organizations that have shown their support. So uh, we want to first start off with who um, we have hand in hand, the Domestic Employee Employers Network. Uh, Havura Zadom, hmm, D-Z-D, Zadom? You know what, I think this might be a, a typo. Um, all right, we're going to go to the next one. Help Find U.S., uh, Holy Spirit Missionary Sisters, uh, Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, which is, of course, this is a national organization, uh, Illinois Religious Action a Center of Reform Judaism. The, that's also another national organization. Or well, we've got the Immigrant Advocacy Project and the Immigrant Families Together, uh, Indivisible Ohio, uh, Interfaith Council for Peace, Peace and Justice, Interfaith Welcome Coalition, the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs, Chicago, uh, the Jewish Reconstructionist Congregation, Evanston, uh, the JPIC Commission, uh, Capuchin Province of St. Joseph, Justice for Our Neighbors, East Texas, Just Love, Ohio, Laredo, Carnilissimo, Brown Berets, uh, Latinos Organizing for Action, uh, Mano Amiga, uh, March on Texas, Women's March on Austin, McCormick Center for Early Childhood Leadership, Midwest uh, Heart, Mishkan, Chicago. Okay, you know what? I just came across a name. I can't even say this. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna work it out. Uh, Nasty women get stuff done. Portland, Oregon, uh, and it, it doesn't say stuff, but th th that kind of threw me off there. Uh, but there there are I mean just names uh, a list a long list of names of organizations that have already pledge their support. Uh, and we want 
for you. And I'm, we're, we're taking this uh, struggle up as well. Uh, we want to support those who are on the ground uh, working, uh, who are on the ground uh, to say that this is not going to be normalized. We're not going to sit by and allow for, uh, for people who are seeking asylum, children no less, uh, to be treated as criminals. And we're not going to sit by and not say something. Uh, and we're not going to sit by and allow this to become the norm where you get to replicate this. So this begins with, with people. It begins with organizations stepping up, um, putting their name uh, on the paper. Uh, and then the next step is going to be engaging our elected officials. I'm going to give a, a slight detour for a moment. The uh, for those of you who have been with us, uh, we spoke. We spoke with uh, Ma'am Abdul Malik Mujahid, who is the chair of the Burma Task Force, the president uh, and founder of Sound Vision. We talked with him recently about the strategy behind uh, the advocacy on behalf of the Rohingya Muslims. Uh, the, the these these people who have been taken, who have been expelled from their from their from their homeland, uh, who you know. Uh, millions, I'm sorry, not millions, but you have over just about a million people in a refugee camp in Bangladesh. You have people who are displaced, um, um, you know, within the borders of Myanmar, of, of, of Burma. Um, and we have, we have been looking at a systematic removal, uh, systematic killing of a people, of the Rohingya, uh, that has finally been termed a genocide uh, if only in resolution by the uh, United States House of Representatives. Uh, and that passed with a majority, it was a 394 to 1. Uh, there were some, of course, that abstained that were absent for the vote. But the point being that I'm, I'm bringing this up for the, uh, to illustrate the end, the end game, right? The, the end result is that we're looking to activate our uh, elected officials. We're looking to have legislation uh, enacted uh, to become that buffer that is going to uh, make sure that's going to uphold the dignity of these young people and and allow them to experience the opportunity and the promise that America offers ideally, right? I'm not talking about the practical, but ideally. So that's uh, that's where we're going. So I mentioned these names, people that have signed up, uh, th these organizations, local and national. The next step is after after the names have been added, after we've gotten everybody's names on, the next step is going, is going to be to hold our elected officials accountable to responding to what the people have already said, right? And what we are saying is that this is unacceptable, right? It's not, this is not who we are. Um, ideally, is not where we want to be uh, practically, and we want we want a response. We want a, we want a response. We want legislation to ensure that uh, the system itself is changed. So that's that's where we are with that. This is just one step. So if you heard that first um, the first segment, that's great. If you didn't, really, you know, it's. You can go back and listen to it, but the the the, the point we're, that we're making here is, oh, not just the point, the opportunity that we're giving here is for you to add your name to this petition, and we'll have this petition up um, 
on our social media. So you can sign, but don't just sign, circulate it, share it. All right, allow it to uh, increase in volume, uh, allow it to take on uh, gr greater uh, weight, allow it to grow, and it only does that if we don't let it stop with us as individuals. So look for it on our social media pages. Sign your name. If you got an organization that you're working with, have them sign uh, and share it. Have them share it. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I would, I have to, I have to mention this. I have to mention this. Uh, and of course, I know with the amount of time that I have to talk about it, it really is insufficient. But if it only at least serves as kind of that splinter that's under the skin that's going to agitate you, that you have to get out, um, then then I'll, I'll take that as a win uh, because it's something that we've got to be conscious about. Uh, we mentioned that ideally who we are as America, and it's not, it's not really a conversation that we have often enough or sometimes um, I get the feeling, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I get the feeling at times that uh, communities of color or, or or immigrants or those who are in the minority sometimes shy away or lose sight of the ideal of what America is. And that's that's what really attracted that's what attracted the world. That's what attracted uh, this idea of send us your your poor and your weak and the huddled masses and all of that. Uh, that whole statement, um, that invitation, this ideal that America represented. That it was a place that you can come to, that you could work, that you could, you could succeed. Um, but unfortunately, the the real system, the actual system that uh, that many of us engage with, it pushes us pushes us away from the ideal, and we just begin to see what we see, and we forget about what we should be aspiring to. So we bring up these things because. Uh, whether it's Tornillo or whether it's mass incarceration, which I've got to, I said I was going to talk about just for a second. Uh, we bring up these things because these really, they fly in the face of what the ideal of America, of what it is, of what the United States really represents. It is the exact, it is the exact opposite. I mean, with the, the, the terrible uh, and painful history that we have here in the United States that we all share, but we have not, we have certainly not come to a point where we have, um, accepted it, that we have grappled with it and, and healed. Uh, it's a history that we shelve and we, 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 we kind of keep it out of, uh, out of sight. And we don't really understand that the things that we're dealing with right now when it comes to a problem like mass incarceration is really, it is the, uh, it's the legacy of that, of that pain. It's the legacy of the ideal that has not been, um, that has not been realized or, or protected. We don't see something like mass incarceration as the, you know, as the as the heir of slavery. And we certainly don't see Tornillo, uh, this detention facility. We don't see it as as a part of that that same family. So. Here's the here's the here's the splinter. So as we advocate for the removal for the restructuring for the shutdown of Tornillo uh, and making sure that nothing else rises up in its place like it. Let us also be mindful that we have over uh, 7 million people 
in the United States of America that are under some form of correctional control. So we're talking about either prison or jail or probation, right, or parole. Uh, so this idea of mass incarceration, it should be something that it should be on our on our radar uh, and and really understand it as a problem that is that is worthy of our collective action, of our collective commitment. What we're looking at in Torneo is not an isolated, uh, it's not an isolated incident. It's not something that stands on its own. It's connected to the uh, this normalized incarceration, this, this uh, curtailment of freedom that we see on a regular basis that we don't pay attention to. You know, it's become invisible to us. So this is a wake up, this is a wake up call for us. And we either do like that person who is really tired, and I'm sure many of you, you know, you've done it as I have done it. You had your alarm clock set, and the alarm go, goes off, but you're so tired, you sleep right through it. But there's a moment that you could respond to it. You don't, you just sleep right through it. This is what Tornillo represents, and connected to the uh, existence of mass incarceration, and connected to all of the supporting factors that allow mass incarceration to uh, to exist and continue. Connect these things. We're going to talk about these things more, right? This is not the first time we've mentioned. Won't be the last time. Uh, but that being said, look for the petition on social media. Sign it. Share it. Uh, and I'm speaking directly to my uh, to the to the uh, Muslim members of the Radio Islam family. We need. We certainly need the Muslim presence uh, in this effort. So I'm certainly calling on you. I'm calling you out in particular, on this. We want everybody's support, but I'm calling you all out in particular on this. Okay, Radio Sound family, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors, the Cop Foundation U.S. We thank our engineers over at WCEV. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. With that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.